G'day, and welcome to another episode of the Adventures on the Road podcast, proudly brought to you by Avan to Hire. I'm Shane, your host. Now let's get on the road. Okay, I'm chatting with my good friend Hudson Fox from Cobble Gorge, who've just opened the new bridge, and I want Hudson to tell us all about it. G'day, Hudson. How are you? Fantastic, Shane. How are you doing? Yeah, look, I'm really well, thanks. Now, tell us, you've had the official opening. First of all, how did the official opening go? It was absolutely fantastic. We couldn't have asked for a better day. I uh, had a great crowd of around 60 to 70, had a few dignitaries, um, some representatives from the Queensland government and uh, tourism operations and tourism boards and things like that. We also had the Honourable uh, Bob Catter, who was there to do the official uh, cutting of the ribbon uh, with Gay and Simon Terry as well, which was fantastic to see him up here. Excellent. So this bridge, it's all glass, isn't it? Yes, it is. The The main section that is over the gorge, so the, the gap between uh, both abutments is 13 metres apart and the span of the glass section is 9.5 metres. So, you know, it's just that glass section just above the gorge, so you have that amazing vantage point. All right. Now, being glass and being in the sun, wouldn't it get a bit hot? Look, you'd think so, but it actually doesn't because the glass is quite thick and, you know, just before we did the opening, I was up there on my hands and knees giving it a quick polish and just from experience I can tell you it doesn't get too warm but um, with with it being on the tour all guests do need to have closed in shoes because there is a bit of walking on the escarpment so when you get up there you actually put little protective covers on your shoes and so you check your shoes for some rocks and knock all those out hopefully and then you put your uh, protective cover on so you can walk across the bridge not scratch it or anything like that. What about someone who's a bit scared of heights I I get a bit jittery sometimes with heights I I can imagine that walking out onto this glass bridge and then looking down and you'll be thinking there's nothing underneath you, but obviously the glass floor is. How do people cope with that? Well, great question, Shane. So we've got a, um, a guide up here who's not actually too keen on heights at all. He's quite terrified of them. Um, but he's he's been doing tours since we opened and he's um, been able to conquer his fear. So he went up uh, the day before opening and you know had about five minutes to kind of compose himself and walk over it and he, you know, he said that first kind of time that he did it, it was a bit, it was a bit thrilling, and he didn't know what to expect. But he's been able to conquer his fear, so to speak, and he's doing tours today, actually, and he's been able to get across that bridge, no worries now. So I imagine that the view, looking down on the gorge through a floor that seems to bit your eye that it's not there, but it is, must give you sort of an all right view. Oh, it's absolutely spectacular. So it, you know, when you when you jump on that glass bridge for the first time, it's it's almost like you're floating on air, so you can look up and down and you know be able to see right down to the bottom of the gorge and side to side you can see up and down the gorge as well. But it's just that, that amazing feeling that you get that you're just suspended and you know there's nothing there holding you. Well, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. You, obviously, you've, you've got plenty of, plenty of structure to hold you up there you know, and got quite a good uh, limit to the bridge as well. So you're very safe on that bridge and, and the feeling it gives you is just just amazing. So I can appreciate that um, when we walk across the bridge and look down, you know, it would be fantastic to be able to look down over a gorge as close as you are, given that you're sort of level with the top of the, the cliff faces. What's some of the other things that's an advantage of having the uh, the bridge there to cross from, obviously to cross from one side to the other, but what, what's some of the advantages in that? Um, so one of the main advantages is probably just opening up the opposite side of the sandstone escarpment. So for for the 
I guess the entire time that we've been running tours out here at Cobalt Gorge, we've only ever allowed guests to be on one side of the escarpment. And with this glass bridge, it has allowed us to connect both sides of the escarpment and open up a whole new section of the tour that the public's never seen before. So there's a whole other side that guests get to experience in the sandstone country. That sounds really interesting. Has the wildlife been using the bridge at all? Most definitely. It's created a a little bit of a a thoroughfare for some of the native animals. So we've uh, found a few... uh, rock wallaby droppings and things like that on the bridge so it's definitely been used by those little fellas and we've also had a lovely big snake on it that we were able to capture uh, capture on film as well um, so we've used that for a bit of our, our media which is fantastic and it's gaining some great traction on Facebook which is great so yeah no the wildlife animals around are using it as well which is even even better for us serving two purposes. I wonder what those wallabies first thought when they hopped out on that bridge and they'd looked down and went, hang on, that's water below me, but I'm not feeling wet. Yeah, it would be interesting to know what they were thinking, wouldn't it? Indeed. Well, I think that this glass bridge is going to add a lot to uh, viewing Cobble Gorge. It's going to give a different perspective on it all, isn't it? Most definitely, and it's you know, I've, I've actually said to um, a few people that have asked me, this bridge isn't just for us. It's not just for Cobalt Gorge, but it actually is for tourism in the north. So it's just another jewel in the crown, so to speak, and it'll pull more people up this way. And, you know, I, I definitely think it's one of those, I guess, bucket list items that people are going to want to tick off. And so, you know, hopefully drawing more and more people up into this area, we've got a lot We've got a lot to show up here and a lot on offer, so it will be great to hopefully just play that other draw card and start pulling a few more locals up. This tour of the bridge is incorporated in, into your, one of your normal regular tours, is that right? Most definitely. So it's part of our three-hour gorge tour. You have a bit of a walk and then you go down and you do a lovely gorge cruise. Just part of that regular tour, but obviously we've just added a few more things just to, just to open up that other side of the escarpment and hopefully bring back some, some older guests to see something new. Took the words right out of my mouth, Hudson. I was just about to say, anybody who's already been to Cobble Gorge would want to come back again because, as you said, it just gives them another perspective of the gorge and also being able to go to the other other escarpment and and look around. Oh, most definitely. And we've got a pretty pretty phenomenal rate of return guests um, as it is, but we really think that with this new addition to our tour, we'll, we'll be able to see a lot more familiar faces in the years to come. Well, Hudson, thanks for your time. Is there anything else you want to add about the bridge and or Cobble Gorge? Oh, well, I guess I could give you a few stats on the bridge um, just to probably put some people's minds at ease. Uh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, so as um, as we said before, it's it's a 13-metre span uh, in between the uh, escarpments so, and with that 9.5-metre section of glass. And as I said, you know, it's it's very, very, very sturdy. So you've got an 11-ton uh, distribution across the bridge. So that, that equivalent is probably around 140 people that could be spread across, and um, it'll still stay uh, structurally sound. And we we run tours at a max of probably around oh, 56 people. So you'll never see 140 people standing on that bridge, and it would be a sight to see that many squeeze onto it. But with, with the glass that we used as well, it's uh, 45 millimetres thick uh, underfoot. Wow. So, yeah, 
massive, massive amounts of glass and quite heavy. So they come in at around 360 kilos. So everything that went into the bridge as well was all helicoptered in. So there was over 100 lifts uh, of material that was up and back and tools, all that kind of stuff that went up. You know, that the main section of the bridge that holds everything together is the two major beams that are underneath the glass and then obviously everything else and they're they're pretty substantial in the fact that they weigh one point three five tons. It was pretty impressive seeing you know a massive heli coming in and doing those lifts, and it was it was quite a sight to see to see it all come together in just a few days. Now I'm hoping that you've got some good video footage of the opening day. I'm hoping you'll you'll agree to share it with us, and we'll put it up on our website with links uh, to Cobble Gorge. Everyone, it's time to start planning to visit Cobble Gorge. We'll be looking forward to seeing them all out here. And don't forget, you've got to go and say good day to Hudson. Yep, we'll come and have a cup of coffee or maybe even a nice cold Great Northern. Sounds good. Hudson, thanks for your time and congratulations to everyone there at Cobble Gorge for, for what you've done. Cheers, Shane. So we've, we've been visiting the Granite Belt all around Stanthorpe and talking to all sorts of businesses, places to visit and see, but I've got something that I think's just... Well, it's different, but I think it's fabulous. I just love the whole concept of it. I'm talking with Katrina, who has the Granite Belt Christmas Farm. Hi, Katrina. Hi, Shane. How are you going? Look, I'm going really well. Tell me, the Granite Belt Christmas Farm, how did this come about? Well, basically, we moved from out west in central Queensland to um, Stanthorpe, and then we decided that once we had my first daughter, Evelyn, it was just time to create something of our own so um, we could raise a, our family together. So the Granite Belt Christmas Farm was born. As the name suggests, you grow Christmas trees. So I'm guessing a busy time of year for you was probably going to be December. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. <laughs> so we have our harvest weekend every year and um, that always falls on the first Saturday of December. So this year it's the 30th of November and the 1st of December and that's when we open our paddocks up for families to come browse through our Christmas trees, pick their own and then we cut it down and run it through a netting machine and um, while they're there they can browse our boutique Christmas store and then go home. So it's just, it's a really great family tradition. Yeah, it takes me back to when I was um, a lot younger and I can remember going for a drive along the Bruce Highway and possibly seeing a small Christmas tree on the side of the road and Dad would hop out and, and, and collect it. Always thought it was funny that he would be there with a carving knife trying to cut down a tree because that was all he happened to have in the car when we saw it. But okay, so they can pick a tree, it gets harvested. Yes, it does, yep. And it gets taken home. And, of course, it's a living tree. Uh, the smell in your house of fresh pine at Christmas time is just absolutely sensational, just amazing. Yeah, I can well imagine. Oh, it takes me back to my childhood, the smell of the Christmas tree. Now, but it's not just the Christmas tree you provide. You've, you've got a bit of a shop there as well with some other interesting things, haven't you? Yeah, we do. So our farm is open all year round, apart from February and March. We open seven days in school holidays. So basically on our farm, we have the Mistletoe Boutique Store. That's filled with boutique Christmas ornaments and um, vintage collectibles and really that special Christmas gear for um, your family. We also hand make all our Belgian chocolates on site as well. 
and do the amazing Belgian hot chocolate. So if you're looking to get a marshmallow moustache, it's the place to come. A marshmallow moustache and a hot chocolate. My mouth's watering already. (laughs) And don't forget, we do have Santa's animals. Um, So you can buy a bucket of feed and feed Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the donkeys, the sheep, the goats, the chalks, the duck. So we have a um, little nativity scene happening um, on the farm as well, which is uh, great for the kids. Whereabouts actually are you located? So we're located at 321 Aerodrome Road, Applethorpe. If you're heading north from Warwick, it's just at the Big Caltex and McDonald's. You're just going to take your left and then it's fully signposted from there and it's only five minutes off the highway. Okay. So as obviously Christmas is, is a busy time of year, but is there any other time of year that you have something special happening out here at the Granite Belt Christmas Farm? Yeah, definitely. So we kick off the 1st of April every year and we hold our Christmas, uh, our Easter festival and that's where we do a kids club. We do an Easter egg hunt through the Christmas trees. We do an egg and spoon race and we have a really big variety of Easter decorations in store along with Easter chocolate. So there's something for the whole family on that day. Your website. What's your website address? Our website is www.granitebeltchristmasfarm.com.au on your website, do you have some of the um, knickknacks and, and decorations and collectibles and that sort of thing for people to look at as well? Yeah, definitely. So we do have an online store attached to our website and um, we've also got different tabs that tells you how to do the harvest um, with our live Christmas trees and what's on offer at the farm. Okay. Now, the hot chocolate and the Belgian chocolates that you make. Yes. Can you order them online? No, that it's only available from our store just because this is too high volume to what we produce and we're only in a um, small um, setup. So that's fair enough. I'll be making a trip out to get my Belgian chocolate. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now, if someone is traveling in a caravan around Christmas time and they're in the area, do you have smaller trees there or do you just have do you have a various sizes of trees? Yeah, so our real Christmas trees in the paddock range from 5 foot up to 10 foot. However, we do um, sell a potted range of Christmas trees. So a lot of people just get the small potted tree to put in their caravan or we do have some artificial trees in our boutique store. So they might just get a little light up tree that they can fit in their caravan. And we have caravan decorations, which is a real hit. People love getting a caravan um, decoration to hang in their caravan. Ah, now that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Is that on the website? Sometimes it is on the website, but the caravans is a really hot item, so it usually sells out. In-store is our main priority. Yeah, so you do have to be really quick with the caravan ornaments. You know, August, September is really when people start to get their thinking caps on and um, visit. But because people are travelling through at any time of year, we always try and make sure that anything's available all through the year. All right. Well, look, it's been interesting to have a bit of a chat with you, Katrina. I wish you well with the Christmas farm. When I first heard about this, I just thought it was fabulous. I'm sure that as people are travelling through the area, it would be well worth coming out and having a look at the Christmas farm. That's right. And if you want to pat Rudolph, you can. And you can whisper <laughs> into Rudolph to make sure that he doesn't forget to pull up at your place. That's right. And over Christmas time, Santa's at the farm every weekend. Well, thanks for popping in, Katrina. It's been great chatting with you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for having me on. Bye for now. Bye. Well, he's back. Good old Ranger Nick's on the line, and we're going to have a bit of a chat with Nick about Camp oven cooking. G'day mate, how you going? 
Unreal, Shane. Unreal. Can't wait to go. Ready to rumble, mate. What do we got today? Well, I'm I'm sort of thinking, you know, travel a fair bit. You get out and about. I reckon you could tell us an odd, funny story about travelling on the road. Have you got one for me today? Oh, mate, look, I don't know that it's so funny, but it happened to me recently. I was down in um, Cancoban or, or Tumbarumba, in fact, in the Snowy Mountain area near Kosciuszko. And, and being um, in the ninth month, I wasn't too concerned about snow. Nevertheless, I went for a drive in to find a campsite to a lake and as I drove in and got closer and closer, the snow got deeper and deeper and I've never driven in snow before. I'm a country boy from out southwest Queensland. Um, I've encountered black soil and sand and you name it, but never snow. Anyway, as we travelled in and got deeper and deeper into strife, I thought, well, blow this, I don't want to be camping in it anyway, so I'm going to turn around. So I backed up a road and started heading back out again, and as I come to a hill, the car broke traction. So all the ice, I just lost traction, and I thought, holy heck, what what am I going to do here? So I had a go at reversing down the hill and driving up again, and and, um, I tell you, it's all a learning curve. But I, I had a second attempt at the hill and yet again broke traction and and uh, shoveled a bit of snow away or ice. And as quick as I shoveled that snow away, the ice kept forming on the road, so there was no way I could get traction. So I pulled out the winch, doing the right thing, and um, it decided to bail me up. So Uh-oh. I thought, oh, I'll tell you what, there's some very colourful language that afternoon. <laughs> The, did the birds all take off and disappear as well? Yeah, look, mate, it, it wasn't the most pleasant side of me, I've got to say. The, uh, I'd just finished filming for a four-wheel drive, for a four-wheel drive segment or E-Class uh, in my subscription pages. So you can subscribe to the Outdoor Enthusiast um, also through the website. Um, and it, it covers things like camp oven cooking, four-wheel driving, fishing, all that type of thing, navigation, you name it, knife sharpening. It's, it, it's all on there. It's a great program. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from it. So um, if you did want to get involved with that, just have a look on the website. Anyway, and that website address is? Oh, the website's wiggle, 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 rangernick.com.au. So just just go and have a bit of a scout around in there. Some very useful information and and um, uh, what do you call it? Camp ovens. There's all sorts of merchandise and that on there as well, and and programs or study programs and things. But um, getting back to the snow, I thought, well, I'm not sure what to do here. I, the more I dug, the more I just found ice, and I couldn't get traction, and the more, more trouble I was getting into and sliding into the table drain because I drag a trailer around as well. I'm about four tonne fully loaded. Oh, so it was acting like an anchor then. It was dragging you back. Oh, mate, it, it was giving me some grief, and, and um, I sort of couldn't leave it there, so I wasn't sure what to do. And as I said, little experience in the snow. I've got much more experience with snow now. Uh, and for the fact that the winch bailed up, it doesn't matter how well you prepare, does it? You, there's always something can pop up and rear its ugly head to give you some strife. I call that so Murphy's Law. Oh, yeah, no, I think it's Ranger Nick's Law. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> anyway, I um, hummed and hard as to what to do. I had no reception. It was about a 10-kilometre hike out of the snow. 
and it was getting late in the afternoon. So I thought, well, heck, I'm not sure what to do. So I decided rather than walk around in the cold in the dark, that I'd put the night in. Rather than set up camp, I thought, well, I'm going to camp in the car. That way at least I can start the motor periodically and warm up. Well, it's one of the coldest nights I've ever put in. Overnight, we got another three inches of snow, which turned out to be a bit of a blessing because the fresh snow wasn't wet and slippery like the snow was that afternoon. So the next morning when I woke up, I tried a few different things like lashing sticks onto the tyres to try and give myself a bit of traction and to, to uh, get up out of the table drain, but that all went to junk on me and I kept snapping rope. That wasn't getting me anywhere. So it got the better of me and I thought, well, I'm going to try and find what's going on with this winch a bit better and it was quite cold. My hands were freezing. It was very hard to um, undo screws and all the rest of it, but I managed to get the winch to work long enough to get me back up on the road. And then, of course, the winch decided to bail out again. Um, my little offsider, she was uh, by this time getting quite ill and I wasn't that much better. So we were both sick and coughing our lungs up and and uh, doing battle in the snow trying to get the car out, not quite knowing what to do. I thought, well, last resort, I'll have a go at shoveling again. So we shoveled the snow away for about 10 feet in front of the car and behind the back wheels and down onto the solid earth. I deflated the tyres a little bit, not knowing if that would help or not. Um, I don't know that it was any benefit, but once I got that traction and got the car moving and on top of the fresh snow, it seemed to uh, get the traction back and I made it to the top of the hill and had no more trouble getting out. By the time we got into Tumbarumba, we were both just exhausted because we had a pretty rough night, and I said, no what, you're crook and I need you on deck, so we're going to book into a motel, which goes against my grain a bit, but with it being so cold and, and with a, with a sick, sick female on board, I thought, no, blow it, we're, we're going to have a bit of a uh, couple of luxuries on this tour. But one of the highlights, I uh, had the dogs with me, which generally do travel with me. I've got a little Kelpie named Little Dog and a Kelpie Staffy Bitch, who is a shadow. Well, they had so much fun in the snow. They they were like little kids running around, and the little staffy got great enjoyment out of planting her head under the snow and running around flat out like a plow in it. How she didn't run into a rock or a stump doing it, I don't know. But she um, they had a great time in the snow. But I I was pretty pleased to get out of it. I have to say. I bet you could have done with a nice warm damper by then. Yeah, well, if anything had been so wet, I probably would have lit a fire. But, yeah, everything was just wet, covered in snow. And all I wanted to do was get the heck out of there. So I do appreciate those and the beauty in the snow. It was quite pretty in there. Um, and I do appreciate those who do like to go hike camping in it. But, listen, you're not going to have any trouble with me taking up your space camped in the snow. You can have it all yourself. You reckon, you reckon that's a once-only experience? I hope that's a once-only experience. <laughs> All right. Well, getting back to dampers, give us one of your favourite damper recipes because I know you've written a book about dampers. Yeah. Well, we actually recently on the uh, 13th of July, we were out at Charleville and um, it got wind that – actually, it's an interesting story. There was a gentleman, Greg Purvis, who was sitting in the neighbour's shed and he asked the neighbour, what's that photo? 
And the response was, well, that's a world record damper that we did in Charleville in 1994 at 75 metres. He said, wow, that's amazing. So he got it and Googled it on his phone and found that a Swedish scout group actually had beaten that title in 2006 at 125 metres. So once I got wind of that, I thought, well, that's damn right un-Australian. We'd better do something about it. So oh, I love your, I love your range in there. That's oh, just un-Australian. I love that. It was damn right un-Australian, I have to say. Shame for, for a uh, Swedish scout group to hold the title of an iconic Australian bred. I think it would be unpatriotic not to do something about it. And I bet so, you did. Yes, we certainly did. Not just myself. There was a few of us. I did have some helpers, I have to say, but I certainly had a lot to do with uh, how we were going to go about it and and actually mix the dough and get the heats right and all that type of stuff, the actual doing. So a lot of the ideas that I came up with hadn't been tried before, and on the 13th of July, we beat that title at 153.002 metres. The damper what was the length again? 153.002 metres, bringing the world record back to Australia. Wow, that's that's one mighty big damper. Mate, it was an amazing experience to see fires getting lit in the morning and coals burning down. The heat was incredible from the Gidgee coals. We used Gidgee mainly to to um, as a heat source. So there was 68 tonne of wood that we lit up, and I happened to actually cooked breakfast four days later on those same coals. So it, it was quite, it's quite remarkable wood. It, it holds the coals well in a very consistent heat. So it was certainly the wood of choice to cook a damper of that nature. It actually weighed in at 393.23 kilos cooked. Wow. So there wasn't anybody left hungry at the end of it, I bet. Most certainly not. There was damper eating competitions. There was cocky's joy flowing like a river. There was stews and curries to eat with it. It was just a, a remarkable day. And to see 153 metre long bread, all one consistent colour, and and knowing full well that we'd we'd beaten that record was just just a buzz. And I. I'm still buzzing over it. It was just a remarkable experience. There was 250-odd hands on deck helping with shoveling coal, mixing dough, managing the damper in and out of the fire pit. It was was just a great effort by everyone involved and a really fun day out. All righty. So... Oh, and the damper. Sorry, Shane. Yeah. I, I got off the subject a bit there, didn't I? So no. In the process, I, I come up with the bright idea to um, write a book about dampers. So it's called The World of Dampers, and there's 101 damper recipes in there. 101? 101, that's right, 101 recipes. And in due respect, you could just keep going. I've sort of written the book to encourage people to... Use, a, use basic ingredients or a basic starting recipe just to play with the food and have a bit of fun with it and put, put things together and make some... Well, we made some pretty good dampers. One of my favourites or one of the best that I think come out of the book was an avocado and camembert damper. Avocado so, and camembert. You've got my attention. Absolutely beautiful damper and I recommend you give it a try. So to 
a uh, cup of flour, a cup of self-raising flour. I just added the innards of an avocado, so I just scraped the avocado into there, mixed it up with water till it come to a consistency, something like Play-Doh, and then placed a um, wheel of camembert inside of it and, and folded it up. Bake that in the oven for about 20 to 30 minutes, and, mate, you cut that open, the cheese bursts out of it, the avocados all through it. It was just absolutely beautiful damper, nice moist bread. I love the sound of that one. I'm going to give that one a crack. Mate, it's certainly worth a try. And one of the most surprising ones, because I was playing around a bit, was a tomato sauce damper, believe it or not. Okay, go on. Do tell tomato <laughs> sauce damper. Come on. Well, it was just as simple. I just used tomato sauce in the mix, so... Uh, to a cup of flour, I put about half a cup of tomato sauce. Um, same sort of procedure, make it up so it's something like Play-Doh. And I just put a couple of strips of cheese over the top of it and baked it in the camp oven. Absolutely, to my surprise, it was quite an interesting bread. It was quite a nice flavoured bread. All right, so both of those are in, in the 101 damper recipes. Along with 99 others. Along yeah. with 99 others. Okay, so yeah. obviously they would need to go to your website and they can order that, correct? Absolutely. You can buy, purchase that online. You'll find two other recipes book, books there as well. You should be walking with me when I'm walking by myself and soul food for the non-carnivorous biped. All righty. Well, thanks for your time, Ranger Nick. Hope to catch up with you again soon. Always a pleasure, Shane, any time. All right, mate. You be good out there. Can't see why I'd start being good now. Yeah, but stay away from that snow. Yeah, you don't. You got. You won't have much argument from me there. It's certainly something I avoid. <laughs> good on you, mate. Chat again soon. Bye for now. Righto, Well, that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. Thanks to Avan to Hire for their ongoing support. To find out more on them or any of our other segments, visit our website and Facebook page. Until next time. I'm Shane. Have a safe journey.